Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. What's up, church? How are we? Amen. Hey, it's good to be with you all. Uh, My name's Austin. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to say hey at some point. So come grab me after service or come say hey. Uh, shake hands, high five. If we're still doing the elbow thing, we could do that too. Whatever works for you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, but we just wrapped up a series in Colossians. We went through the whole book of Colossians. Uh, and we are about to start next week on a new series uh, called Here Too. And then start to unpack why we're here. Why is the church we're here? And why specifically this church, why we're here? And some of the hopes and dreams that we have for the fall. It's exciting stuff that I can't wait to get into. Uh, And today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack a a message really on on kingdom authority, what authority looks like according to the kingdom. And specifically what we're going to talk about is eldership within the church. We are having a transition with one of our elders. Uh, It's a good transition. It's a good reason that he is stepping down out of eldership. But we are excited then as the church and as the body to come together and to uh, nominate or to put forward another person to to sit in that seat. And so you might be thinking right off the bat, like, okay, message on church governance, not exactly what I I wanted to sign up for today, but here we are and we're going for it. And it's, it's going to be helpful because really what this comes down to is a message on what authority looks like according to the Bible. And so if I could have anything happen today, I'd really, I'd love for two things to happen. I'd love to have a, an, an elder nominated. That would be a success of this message if we could actually accomplish that. But I'd also love for, for all of us, every single one of us, myself included, to walk out of here today with a greater understanding of God's design and role for godly, uh, God-filled character and godly authority over our lives. It's something that's just so countercultural in today's air that we live in and we breathe that I think that if we can really set our minds on what authority should look like according to the Bible, it will help us flourish. It will not stifle our life. Amen? So to start, I thought I'd tell this story. Katie and I actually uh, just kind of realized it's, it's the first Sunday in August. Anyone else just kind of having this kind of wake-up call that summer's basically over? Parents of Thompson School District, we're going back in like what, like 10 days or something like that? So summer, summer's over. You know what I'm saying? It feels that way. If the heat could somehow subside, that would be amazing too. Although I'm not counting on that. Um, you know, it would be nice to have some AC up in this place. Amen? We'll talk about more in, about that in like a month or so. But So just stay tuned. But remember these warm Sunday mornings, okay? Um, Katie and I were like, okay, hey, we want to get one last trip in with the kids, with the family uh, before summer's up. And so on Monday, uh, we, we set off for Steamboat. And uh, our plan was to leave Monday morning, come back Wednesday. And so, of course, on, on Sunday night, being kind of the planner that I am, I was looking at what's the best way to get to Steamboat. So I opened up my Maps app, and I, and I punch in Steamboat Springs from my current location, from my house. And here were the options that I got. Here were the options that I got. <laughs> so look, look closely at this, okay? Because on the one hand, I could go south towards Denver, up I-70, up up through like the Winter Park Kremlin area, and, and that, that trip would take me three hours and 38 minutes. On the other hand, I could go up through Fort Collins and go up the Poudre Canyon, right? That's, that's probably the way that most people would go, through the Poudre. That, that would say it's going to take me about three hours and 38 minutes. And then I was shocked to see that if I go all the way up to Laramie, back down through Walden, and then down, down that's going to take me three hours and 39 minutes. And so I'm sitting here like, no way. No, like it's, it's I, 
how, it's like a, probably 100 or more miles in between Laramie and, and like Golden. And you're telling me it's going to take the exact same amount of time? So I just want to pull you guys to kind of check my heart, check all your heart. Which, which way would you have gone? Raise your hand real quick if you would have gone south and up I-70. Okay, that is the wrong answer. So good job. Nobody's going to go that way. because. Sorry, Sharon, I love you. But, but that's... Listen, all the traffic on 25 going towards Denver is going to be a nightmare. And then 76 up to 70 is always terrible. And there's probably going to be a rock slide is what we've learned this week. You know what I'm saying? So, okay, not going that way. Um, and then who's going to go up the Poudre Canyon? Who's going to go up the Poudre? Not a, not a bad answer. Not a bad answer. Okay. Who's going to go up north towards Laramie? Okay. A pretty even split between that way. Here, here's how I decided. Um, one thing you should know about me is that as soon as I see this, guys in the room, what, what happens in my brain? It's a race. I'm like, babe, punch it in when we're leaving the driveway. Tell me the arrival time on the app, and I, I will beat it. Okay, if, if you're a law enforcement officer in the room right now, I just want you to disregard what I'm about to say. I chose Laramie. Why? You can go the fastest. Come on. So, like, listen, that Highway 230 coming out of Laramie, it's freshly paved, and it is straight as an arrow. It is begging you to go you know, slightly above the speed limit, just in case any <laughs> law enforcement officers are in the room. So I, listen, I, I went north. I went north. I went to Laramie. We beat the time, even though we ran into some highway painting, like construction going on outside of Steamboat. I was like, what is this? They have to shut down the whole highway just for them to paint the lines on the road. Uh, but they did. So we still made it on time. I beat the time, everybody. That's, that's how it went. So yeah, you can clap if you want to. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Here's what this revealed. Here's what this revealed. I, I'm driving, literally thinking about next Sunday's message. I know I'm preaching on eldership, church, preaching on church governance. And here's what I'm thinking. My goodness, I, I chose the route that was based in rebellion. <laughs> I, I literally was like, no, I can beat that time. I know that time's calculated based on speed limits, but I can beat that time. There, listen, hey, there's rebellion that lives in me. There is. There's rebellion in pockets of my heart that still live there. And I'm not, I don't love that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not proud of that, but it's, it's true. And I can admit that that's true because guess what? There's rebellion that lives in all of you. Somewhere, somewhere. Every single one of us has some rebellion that lives in the somewhere. It might be something towards something like traffic laws. It might be something towards like something much more serious, uh, like laws of God, adultery, the way that we ought to spend our finances, the way that we ought to look and, and behave and act. There's rebellion in all of us. In all of us. Some of you, the rebellion isn't as overt. It's not breaking all these rules, but it's more of a self-righteous bent towards rebellion where you would never maybe articulate it this way, but you've just, you've grown up in church, you've followed the rules, you've done all the right things, and you have this rebellious attitude that thinks you don't need the grace of God. Or you maybe don't operate in a way that's continually depending on God's grace for your life. Both are rebellious. Both are rebellious. And, and I just... The reason I want to kind of frame this conversation today in authority under the context of rebellion is because we all have it in us. And the culture that we're living in right now would say to us that, that authority structures over our lives are always going to hinder our life, especially if that authority structure doesn't agree with what I believe in. If that authority structure doesn't, doesn't champion the things that I want to champion, doesn't want to rally behind the things that I want to rally behind, then that is now oppressive is the word that it gets labeled as. Authority becomes oppressive. Uh, authority becomes uh, all the different bad words that we could use fit into that category. And as Americans, I think it's just also the, the DNA we're all sort of wired with. Harrison, you know, learned about the Civil War 
uh, I'm sorry, not the Civil War, the Revolutionary War this last year in school. And so he, he would say, he'd come home and he'd be like, I learned about the Redcoats today. And I think we all have a little bit of us that's like, yeah, the Redcoats. It's still living in there somewhere. They're like, man, as soon as somebody wants to oppose their wishes or, or oppose, uh, infringe on my freedom, infringe on my liberty. And listen, please hear me. Like, freedoms and liberties are a beautiful thing. But what matters as Christians is what you do with that freedom and with that liberty. See, because to be a Christian is, is to, Romans 10, is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's to take my, my autonomy. You want to talk about this word autonomy? Anybody remember the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone from like a year ago? Chaz, that thing that was going on in Portland for a little while? You remember this? Where they were like, hey, we, you know, we're just not going to have police here. We're not really uh, uh, up and up with the whole border situation. And what was the first thing that they did with Chaz? They put a wall around Chaz and, and they had like a militant force that was enforcing the rules. So they basically had police. <laughs> you know, so like, it just kind of broke down. But autonomy, this word that was used there is, is this idea of self-governance, self-governance. Well, here, here's the problem. In Romans, what Paul talks about, the reason that we have leadership, the reason that we have authority, Romans 13, verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he, the ruler, the authority, the governing structures, they, they are a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." Well, Paul's writing here to the Roman churches, the reason we have authority structures is because of the evil that's in the world, the evil that's in you and me. A good person does not need a police officer to tell them how to be good. It's, it's the person that has problems in their heart. It's the person who's bent on destruction. But here's, here's the real, I just, you have to keep this in mind, is that what David writes in the Psalms in multiple places, it says, I was brought forth in sin. I was, I was born into iniquity. Every single one of us is born into this state where we are bent towards destruction, bent towards rebellion. Maybe not every piece of you. It's not like every part of you is, is just so determined to see evil in the world. But apart from the grace of God, you and I cannot get away from the fact that there is rebellion that lives in us. Things that desire to do what is not right, even at the, at the cost or at the sake of another person. And this is, this is again, it's the culture we're breathing. And, and what we're told is that all authority has, has become oppressive. All of the institutions and structures that we have, they have, they have created uh, a system which, which promotes and encourages the right behavior and, and the behavior that is societally labeled as right. And, and what it does is it stifles all of those who are different. This, this is the mantra of what's going on in our country right now. But what God begs us to consider is that, that it is not about um, you leading yourself in, a, in this like virtue of autonomy to your best version of your life. It's, it's pretty clear biblically just to see that if you're left for your own autonomy, your own self-governance, you're gonna find yourself in some serious hurt and some serious pain. And you're gonna cause a wake of destruction as you go there. And so what the Bible calls us to do is Romans 10, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is a statement of governance that goes beyond myself, amen? 
that I'm saying, no, Jesus, I want you to lord over my life. I'm going to take my autonomy. I'm going to take my self uh, free will, and I'm going to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. And I'm going to say, not my will, Lord, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And I'm going to say, listen, I don't want to think, I don't want to act, I don't want to operate outside of who you are and what you've done. And it's not just God that we like lay ourselves down to in this kind of ethereal way where we just say, okay, God, you're out there somewhere. I just want to submit to you. But we also submit ourselves then to his scripture, to his word. His word has revealed to us, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, for scripture, all scripture is breathed by God. God breathed, God's like very essence himself is put down onto scripture and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, the servant of God is how some translations are gonna render this. The servant, God, I'm here to serve you so that the servants of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So fundamentally to be a Christian is to, is to lay your will down to Jesus and say, God, I'm confessing with my, la- my mouth. I'm believing in my heart that God has raised you from the dead. You are Lord of my life. And where I'm gonna turn to now to be taught, to be corrected, to be instructed, to be equipped is your word. Your word's infallible. Your word's perfect. We trust in it. We turn to it in times of need. And it's not just there. There's more structure that God has laid out for our life. In Galatians chapter five, we did a whole series opening the year that was called According to the Spirit. That that Paul says, hey, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free in chapter five, verse one. He says, don't submit yourself again then to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, "Don't, don't take that freedom and now burden yourself again with the law. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He also goes on to say then in chapter five, he says, and listen, the way that you can take that freedom that Christ has given to you and he's graciously offered to you is you can use that to satisfy the flesh. Don't do that. That leads to death. Satisfying the flesh leads to death. But if you would walk according to the spirit, so as Christians, we're submitted to Jesus in our hearts, in our minds. We, we are submitted to the scriptures to learn, to be corrected. And we're submitted to the spirit in everything that we do. And we say, come Holy Spirit, where would you have me go? What would you have me say? Who would you have me talk to? Who would you have me encourage? God, give me, Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak in this tough moment. And then beyond that, beyond the Spirit, there's even, there's even more structure beyond that. We just talked in Colossians chapter four and in Ephesians chapter five, God puts order in the home where he says, husbands, listen, you pursue after Jesus. Make sure that your family is following after Jesus. Lead with a sense of tenacity and a ferocity for Jesus' name, not for your own name, but for Jesus' name in your household. Pursue him and wives, as you see your husband pursuing Christ, you follow his lead in your house. And then beyond that, what we have after the, after the parents, we have children, obey your parents. Children in the room, obey your parents. Follow your parents as you see them following the Lord. God gives us all these different kinds of structures. And the last one that he gives us is for every Christian, whether or not you're married, whether or not you have parents, whether or not you are a kid and you're in a home still, he gives all of this to everyone. He says in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, obey your leaders, obey your leaders, your church leaders, and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The author of Hebrews says, listen, you you as a Christian are called to submit to and to find godly leadership in a church over your life. 
And so I'll just say this for every single person in the room. This may be your church home. This may not be your church home. And I just would beg you to consider, don't shop for a church based on the, the wittiness of the preaching or the jokes of the pastor. Don't shop for a church based on how well the, the, the worship appeases your tastes and your preferences. Don't pick a church based on how well the kids ministry handles your crying baby on a Sunday morning. Pick a church based on saying, no, that leadership is in submission to Christ. And as that leader is following Christ, I will gladly follow them. That is God's design for everyone who's following after Christ, is to find yourself a church that you can get behind and you can champion and you can follow after the leadership in as much as you see that leadership following Christ. Amen? So this is where it gets a little awkward, right? Because now I'm, I'm standing up here telling you to obey and submit. And so I just want to be honest about a few things because I just admitted to y'all that I still have rebellion that lives in me. And so what I hope to do today is not necessarily put a bunch of hope, put a bunch of your hope in me, but what I hope you can do today is you can put hope in this church and the way that we're structured and the way that we're governed so that you can say that that is a church that is endeavoring after following Jesus. Amen. I think there's just too much Christianity that we live in today that, that chooses to, to go to a church based on preferential things rather than asking themselves, does that pastor there, does that leadership there, does the elder board, does the way, is the way they're governed, is that honoring to Jesus or does it fit my preferences? And listen, you, you can find a church that does both, hopefully, but just never place your preferences above what that church is doing, endeavoring, falling after Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so if that's not here, listen to me. I'm okay with that. Okay, I, I trust the way we're structured. I like the way we're structured. You're going to see in this message today that I, I've made a, a, a commitment in my heart. One of my life verses is going to be, I'm going to run towards counsel. I'm, I'm just, listen, I'm not that smart. I'm not that awesome at stuff. I have mistakes that I'm prone to make. And so I'm glad to give myself over to good godly leadership in this church and beyond. And so the, the way that I want to kind of pivot the message now is to talk about how we are structured so that you can, uh, on the one hand, you can see that, okay, I'm not asking you to submit yourself to authority. I'm actually myself submitting myself to authority. But hopefully every single person in this room is seeing, no, I need godly authority, godly character over my life. And then beyond that, what I want to see is what the qualifications look like for what we would look for in a leader in the church. So I want to just, we have several branches of almost governance here. Um, and they function sort of with checks and balances like the governance of our nation, really. The first, one of the first branches I'll talk about here is the overseers. The overseers, uh, if you've taken step one, you know this, but let me just kind of elaborate on step one. They're going to get the phone call if something bad's going on. If, if I die or something happens crazy like that, uh, these guys are going to get the phone call. They have committed to love Good Shepherd and to love me enough that maybe I don't die, but I wish I was dead because I made such a boneheaded mistake that they're going to get the phone call to come in and, and fire me as I want them to if I'm making a boneheaded mistake. Or I just would say, hey, just kill me. Don't let me make that kind of a mistake. But here's my overseers. Uh, Aaron Stern, the pastor of Mill City Church. Uh, Aaron and I had a connection through some family, and he's become a friend. He's become a mentor for me. He's a guy I trust, a guy that I love, a guy that I appreciate so very much, and he's just up the road in Fort Collins. So I get to meet with him frequently. Brady Boyd came in here to preach. He's the pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. It's one of those where I, I don't understand why I get to have a relationship with Brady Boyd, but I'm thankful that I do. And, and, and he calls me from time to time. He texts me from time to time just to check on and see how I'm doing. And I kind of have to pinch myself that that's actually the case. Brady is so wise. He, he is so mature, such a God-filled man that I'm glad to get his input and his advice on things. 
Brian Vincent, the former youth pastor of this church, one of my mentors all throughout my 20s, is someone that I call on the phone regularly and I, I talk church, we talk family, we see how things are going, we check in on, in on each other's life. Jim Murphy is the newest addition to this overseer uh, board. Jim, Jim was the pastor for a long time of Faith Church here in town, just up the road from us. Uh, Jim was one of Kent's overseers. And so what the beautiful thing that we got to do was say, hey, you've known Good Shepherd uh, for such a long time. And so would you just continue to love and would you continue to serve this place in this capacity? I, I was like, Jim, listen, we're having lunch one time. You go home and pray on this. He was like, nah, I don't need to pray. I'm doing this. I'm here for you. And so that's exciting uh, for me to have him in my corner. Joshua McGinley, uh, this is, this is a, a brother. He's a friend. He's my age. We're, we're both kind of young in ministry together. He pastors Ascent Project Church up in Fort Collins uh, and is just a godful guy. I ran into him in Old Town Friday night. I was like, what are you doing, man? What are you, you're out here. We we're celebrating a friend's birthday. And he was like, I'm just prayer walking Old Town right now. I was like, well, listen, that's getting a shout out in my sermon because I'm about to mention you anyways. That's just the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of guy he is. So the overseers, again, their role and their function in our structure is they're going to get a call when, when, if things have gone badly. And let me just, I'll just tell you, this isn't something that I have to do, but it's something that I choose to do is I listened to a podcast from Pastor Brady that was just so, uh, compelling to me where he talks about Ted Haggard's failure at New Life Church. If you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've been around Colorado for a long time, you've heard of his moral failure. And he talks about the mistake that was made at New Life with Ted is that Ted fell out of relationship with all of his overseers. He, he didn't know their number. He didn't know where they were. He didn't know what they're doing. And so listening to that, I'm saying, okay, I'm smart. I'm just smart enough to know how to maybe keep myself from making a boneheaded move. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I, I've gone to these guys and I'm saying, hey, listen, I need you to be involved. If you're going to commit to this, I, I want to I commit to having food with you. I want to sit down and eat with you. I want to I have you meet the church in some capacity. And so we're going to have just, we're, we're trying to line up schedules to have all these guys come and meet the church at some point. Josh is preached here. Brady's preached here. We'll keep you posted on the others. But those are the overseers. Those are my guys. The trustees now, the trustee board. The trustees are, are men who oversee the finances of our church. And so just, this maybe puts a lot at ease, but this is something that as you give here, as you contribute here, I want you to know the kind of integrity that we're gonna operate with with our finances. The trustees approve an annual budget that John and I prepare. We allocate money as it needs to be allocated. We decide what's going to missions, what's going to ministries, what's going to salaries. And the trustees look that over every line and they say, that looks good. Or they say, hey, I have questions about this one. Why so much here? What are you doing with that? And they approve an annual budget. Now, beyond that, they are, they are overseeing and have done a magnificent job just making sure that we have savings set aside, that we have money set aside in a, in a rainy day fund, that we have money set aside to, to do some updates around the building. They care for and look over the building. They also, this is just important to put out, or to put out there, is that they set my salary. And in this season of transition, they actually set John's salary as well. But we just, we just said, hey, um, it's, it's outlined that they set my salary so I don't get to go, well, hey, listen, 2020, uh, listen, that year, that was tough. I need a raise. So I'm doubling my salary next year uh, because that was so brutal. No, that's not what happens. They sit down, they evaluate what I'm going to get paid. And in this transition season, we just said, hey, why don't you just set what John gets paid as well because of our such close proximity to one another. So the trustees oversee that. Uh, they oversee any expenditures that are going to come that are not on that annual budget. They're going to approve and vote on those different kinds of things. Our current trustees are David Stranathan. He could not be here today. Dennis Bruns. I don't know if I've seen him today. 
Um, Dennis Bruns is not in here. Uh, Devin Allison, who's also on vacation. Don Maggard, who is right there, and there's an asterisk next to his name. Where'd he go? He was sitting right there. There you are. Yeah, Don Maggard's right there. And then we have Mike Kearns, who's sitting over here. Wave Mike, yeah. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about in about a month is, is one of the refrains and one of the party lines that I get to use over and over and over again is I am continually reaping fruit that I did not sow in the ground in my first couple years here. And so, and, and that is financially in large part to these guys' leadership and oversight of the budget over the last several years. And so there's an asterisk next to Don Maggard's name uh, because uh, once we hired Taylor Mickelson, who is Don's grandson, which is great. Uh, well, there's a picture going around that I just saw of Don and Gene Maggard. You guys have a shovel in your hand, and you must be standing right over here because it has children's ministry labeled on the shovel as we broke ground on this place. Well, not we. Huh, I wasn't even born yet. But there, you guys were breaking ground on this place. And that's the level of commitment and service that we've had from the Maggards ever since then. But there is a conflict of interest once there is somebody receiving uh, payment from the church and when we have a trustee over that. And so Don, as of June, uh, stepped down as a trustee. I actually said to Don, I was like, hey, listen, we can just fire Taylor right now. We can get rid of him right now. Um, or you can just choose to let your grandson come work here. So it's your call, bro. And uh, he chose to let us have Taylor. So uh, we'll be looking for a trustee. That process for nomination is a little different. I, I just would pick somebody and the elders are going to approve that choice as a trustee. And so we'll keep you posted as we are looking for a trustee currently. Um, that's the trustees. That's what they do. The elders, which we're going to talk about in more depth today, the elders oversee everything spiritually. And so an elder's threefold role, according to the Bible, is someone who will watch over, someone who will care for, and someone who will protect the church. And I just, I have to, before I even get into the names here, this group does this so well. This group is in hospitals. They're, they're showing up at houses. Uh, they, are, they are constantly praying for staff. When we sit down at an elder meeting, uh, we always start that with a time of prayer. And they, they come with words of knowledge, words of wisdom for the staff members and a time of encouragement and prayer for staff. They care for, they watch over us. They are, there's always an elder here. I don't even know like, if this is by design. Like, I didn't talk to you guys about this, but I'd always notice there are always elders here before service. And then John Larson is always almost one of the last people out of the building. It's mostly because he just loves to chat with people, but it works. It works. These are godly, godly men who have followed Jesus for a long time, who walk with a tremendous amount of character and a tremendous amount of wisdom and discernment for what God is doing in this place. And so they are constantly watching over, caring for, and I'll get more into this in just a second, but their wives as well, and the trustees' wives as well, are deeply embedded in what we do here. And so our, our current elders are Bill Johnson, who's right back here, uh, Dave Goltz, I think is somewhere. Dave's not here. Judy's right there. She's running slides. Uh, David Campbell, who couldn't be here this morning. Dennis Merck, where are the Mercks at? Just so everyone's aware too, I did this, I embarrassed them earlier. Today's their 50th wedding anniversary. How awesome is that? Way to go, Mercks. Awesome, awesome. Uh, we have John Larson, who I mentioned, who's sitting right here. He's got the awesome hair. And uh, Paul Bacus as well. I saw Paul earlier. He's standing up right back here. Again, 
I, I could go on and on about the, the tremendous men of faith that these guys are in this room. David Campbell, uh, if you know his story, he got remarried recently after a, a tragic accident with his, his first wife, Vernie, who passed away a couple years ago. He got married to this awesome woman, Paula, and she is deeply connected in church in Fort Collins, and they've decided they're going to split time. They're going to be kind of here at Good Shepherd and here at, at another church in Fort Collins. And, and what David came to us and said is he said, hey, listen, um, Good Shepherd is too good of a church for it to get half of my attention. And so I want to just concede my spot as an elder, and I think somebody else who can devote all of their attention to Good Shepherd should step into that place. That, that's the kind of man that I want around who is willing to make that kind of decision when it's, when it's tough. And so he has lovingly said, I'm going to step out. And that's, that's what we're here to do today because the way that we're structured, the way that we're governed is that the congregation, the members of the church are actually going to nominate an elder, nominate an elder. And we're going to talk about the qualifications for an elder here in just a moment. And as you nominate an elder, then the current elder board is going to confirm along with myself and we're going to confirm the next elder for our church. Cool? So before we just nominate somebody and you just write something like the guy who usually sits by the soundboard with three kids, that's a real story from Pastor Kent. He had that written in on an elder nomination one time. <laughs> Please don't do that. That means you don't know that person's name. That means you do not understand what their character is really like. Amen? Okay. Um, we see the two explanations for what, it, what the qualifications for an elder are in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read both passages, and then I'm going to do my best to kind of just condense them into a more digestible list. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then Titus chapter 1. It's a very similar list, but we're going to read it as well. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer or an elder as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so what you see here in these lists are, are a handful of things. Um, what stands out probably most is that this, this should be a man of character. It's a man of character. It's somebody when you think of them, you just, you just see good character. It's not like you have to just know all the inner workings of their life, but you just know, man, man that guy, like he just, he holds himself well. He carries himself well. He's following after the Lord. He clearly has a relationship with the Lord that I can see fruit from in his life. And so it's this man of character. He's not, he's not given over to compulsions. He's not in love with money. He's not tempted by little things. He's a mature believer. He's been following after the Lord for a while. And he has this fruitfulness that has shown up in his life. And so it's someone that you just look at them and you just see godly character on them. 
The second thing that we see is that they're the husband of one wife. And, and I wish I had more time to go into this, but what we would take, there are different biblical approaches to the office of elder. And whether that is, that is a, a, a good spot or an acceptable spot for a man or a woman, that would be an egalitarian approach. But we here at Good Shepherd, we land on more of a soft complementarianism. Let me just briefly explain what this means. It means that we believe that there is male headship in the household and in the church. And that that, ma- that male headship is, is never meant to be domineering, never meant to be submissive, is always meant to be building up and, and encouraging and promoting the leadership of women. And so this is something where it's like, this is, this is a mystery to me because we can't just say, well, men are better leaders because that's, historically, we can just observe, that's not true. There's been plenty of bad men leaders and plenty of women who are probably alongside of them that would have done just a fine job. But Paul has given specific instruction to the household and to the church. And biblically, what we see is that they are to be the husband of one wife. And what that we can conclude from that is that an elder is to be a male. And so let me just, let me just acknowledge here that we take a soft complementarian approach, which means you can expect to see women pastors. We currently have Robin Parker as a pastor on our team. We have a leadership team that I get to serve alongside. That's John Hummel. Uh, it's Caden Bush. It is Robin Parker and Steph Hewittson all get to serve on that leadership team, making a lot of the decisions that we do here as a church. And so we believe that women are called to lead, called to teach, called to preach, called to prophesy, called to pray for people. And yet we see in this way that God has designed the church that there is to be men as elders. And this is something, again, I don't pretend like I just understand exactly why this has happened because I can see a whole slew of just really dumb guys over the history of the church. Amen? But yet this is the way that God has designed it to be. And let me just add to every elder meeting, this is getting into a little bit more of the function of our elders here. Uh, We do not do elder meetings ever where the wives aren't present. And I, I will acknowledge, looking at the wives of the elders in the room, um, they, are, they are fierce women of God that I am, I am glad to serve with and to serve next to. They are, they are so filled up with the Holy Spirit. They come with words. They come encouraging. They, they bring this, this maternal mothering into our group. If you think that even me, as myself, as the lead pastor, do this without my wife, you're insane. She is so, my, Katie is so much smarter than me. She's so much more tender, so much more compassionate. She's always thinking of things that I don't think of. I run sermons by her and she says, that part is pretty lame. You should add in something that's better. And so you can just thank her every weekend I'm preaching because she's helping this be a little bit better every time. She's, she's an amazing woman of God. She's gonna teach, she's gonna preach. She's gonna do these things and lead because we don't, we don't see women leading as a threat to male headship. I think it's evidence of good male headship instead. Amen? And so they're the husband of one wife, which means that we are going to nominate men today as elders. The next one that we see is that we should see that their home is flourishing. You see a lot of talk in these two passages about uh, the kids shouldn't be living in rebellion. That's speaking specifically to young kids, not necessarily grown-up kids. Grown-up kids, as they're adults, they get to make the choices they're going to make. They're, they're going to follow after Jesus or not follow after Jesus. But what we're looking for is men who lead flourishing homes, flourishing wives, flourishing children. And the reason I think that Paul like brilliantly includes this is because what better test of a man's character, the first thing we're looking for, than how he treats his wife and his kids. That, that, that is going to make a man's character. That's going to shape a man's character is how he nourishes and encourages and builds up his children in his own home. And so we're looking for a maturity, a, a, a home that is, that is full of life and is full of beauty. We're also looking for a good reputation 
inside and outside of the church. You caught this in the Timothy passage where he says, let them, let them be in good standing amongst outsiders. This is something that, that we should know this person, how they carry themselves outside the church, how they carry themselves inside the church uh, is, is the exact same. And they're men of character, whether they're here, whether they're there, people are drawn to them, people like them, people know them, they're reputable, they, they are trustworthy, and they are honest men. And so this is what we're looking for as we nominate Elders Day. Now let me say this, this is, this is something that those who have gone through membership and are members of this church are called to participate in. But I just, if you are, there's, this is a weird season we're in where there's a lot of new people here. And if you've considered this self your church and you know somebody, I still want you to fill this out. Because what we're doing here is we are, we are wanting to see names bubble to the surface of guys. And, and the last time we did this, there's just a consistency where, where it's rare that per, someone gets like one nomination. Several people are drawn to this person. They go, well, no, this guy has something on him. I want to nominate him to be an elder. And so uh, there's a form that you're going to go to on the website or on the app. And what I want you to do is I want you to really, you can, you can nominate somebody today if you want to, but I would love, love for you to pray over this decision. And so we're gonna leave this link up for the week for you to fill out. You have to put your name on it and then you will fill out the nominations that you wanna put on there. Uh, but please pray over this. Really seek, okay, God, who do you bring to mind right now? And, and really consider who are men that you know not again, not just that guy who sits by the soundboard and sits with his three kids. Like that's, that is not what we're looking for. We're looking for a name, somebody you know, somebody you trust. And from there, what I want you to know is, is just even the, some of the expectations that we have for elders here at the church. So that's the biblical expectation, the biblical qualification for elders. But part of the function here at Good Shepherd Church is our elders are not uninvolved. So they have to be able to commit to at least a monthly meeting we're going to meet up monthly, every single month, to talk about what's going on in the church, to pray over things that are going on in the church, to look at the finances of the church, and discuss as much things, church health, as the elders want to talk about in that meeting. But from there, the elders also have to have some bandwidth, some capacity, because our elders are doing hospital visits all the time. Like, I don't even know if you know this, but as, as a person who is going to this church, if you ever want somebody to show up at your house and pray— like the staff will come, elders will come, we will come pray over you, over your family, in your home. And so like there's gotta be some capacity, more than just the one time that we're meeting a month, to be in prayer for the church, to be meeting with the church, to be visiting the church. Again, protecting, caring for, and encouraging the church that we are living in. Amen? So like this, this is an exciting morning because we get to help define and help nominate some of the leadership here at Good Shepherd Church. But again, the the one of the take-homes that I want every single person to walk out of here with is this idea that every single person needs godly character in authority over their life. Every single person. This, this proverb that we're going to throw up on the screen, this is, this is one of my, I, I just, I resonate in my bones around this verse. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. Notice it's not just where there is no guidance, a person falls. Like, so if we want to just be really dumb as a church, like we would say, we're just not going to take guidance. I would say, I'm just not going to take guidance. And so I understand the second half of this deeply. In an abundance of counsel, there is safety. I, I want to avoid as much pain. I want to avoid as much heartache as I possibly can in my life. And so I gladly invite friends, invite overseers, invite elders, invite trustees to say, hey, you are going to help be in authority over me. 
And I, I think every single one of us should turn and run towards godly authority. The culture right now is saying that every form and structure of authority is, is somehow meant to, to submit what is really in you. But godly authority, what it submits is the evilest parts that are in me. And it calls forth to life the best things that are in me. And so this is the verse that I want you to take home. It's what I want you to understand. And I also would love for you to nominate an elder. So would we, could we stand and can we pray as we close the service today? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the way that we are structured here at the church, that we do have good checks and balances. It's not a one-person show. It is a, it is a plurality of people who are endeavoring to see your will be done in this church. God, I thank you that the, the elders, the trustees, the overseers, they're not yes men. They're not just blindly gonna go with whatever is going, but they're, they're gonna stand firm. They're gonna, they're gonna be bold and they're gonna, they're gonna interrupt what's normal maybe to call out concern for your name's sake. I pray that we would follow and we'd endeavor after biblical mission, biblical values, and biblical leadership here at Good Shepherd. I pray as we, as we go from here and we, we seek to nominate somebody to, to put into this place, God, would, would, you just, would you just show us a name? Would you give us a name? Give us a person who would suit this role in a way that would most honor and most glorify your name, Jesus. We love you. We're thankful for you. I pray that we would all turn to godly leadership somewhere in our life, God. We trust in you. We submit to you. We yield to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.